All right, hello, Idiots on Parade, the Too Ugly for TV podcast, bonus podcast, coming in on Fridays, me talking to Barrett. Hi, Barrett. Hey, how are you, sir? I am well. I uh, Do you have anything you want to talk about today? Because if so, we can start there, but I have an idea in my head. Um, If you're just tuning in for the first time, Barrett and I have known each other since 1991. We just talk and talk and talk, so we don't prepare anything beforehand. It's just literally press record and go. Yeah, I'll warn you in advance that I'm remarkably under the weather, so if you hear me going sniffling and all that stuff in the background, I'm not doing coke. I'm actually a little under the weather. Eh. There you go. Um, hmm. Well, I want to go back to a couple weeks ago if you're trying to think of something. Maybe something mm-hmm. will pop into your head. This is something you wanted to talk about a couple weeks ago, and then we got uh, sidetracked. Um, you had hinted at it toward the end of our conversation where I think, I don't know if you and I both struggle with this. I don't know if I struggle with it more. Uh, we've, we've talked about this a million times, never recorded it. So we can talk about it and not bore people saying, well, they talked about this two weeks ago. Um, identity of self. Uh, we always say, and, and unfortunately the biggest example is Trump. We always say that assholes seem to succeed in life and, Mm. You know, why be a nice guy? And we could give a million examples. It's a matter of, uh, okay, I have this gig booked for $300. Oh, someone just offered me a $1,000 gig on the same date, but I won't cancel because my word is my bond. I said I would be at this gig and I don't want to, you know, put anyone out. And so I turned down an extra $700 because, you know, I'm a nice guy. as opposed to just, nope, fuck it, moving on to the next thing. More money means better for me and not even giving a second thought. Um, that's just one example. But just in general, treating people, how you treat them. Do you treat them with kindness or are you just like, in it for me, asshole moving forward? And we've struggled with the idea that assholes seem to succeed a lot. And I struggle with, should, uh, like, I am grateful for everything I have, but should I be more grateful? Like, when I don't have something, it doesn't drive deep resentment in me but i you know i get frustrated like any human like fuck i'm working so hard at this why do i not have more should i just be an asshole and say fuck it i'm selfish i'm all in it for me but that's not my true nature but it's not my true nature either to just be nice and happy go like identity of self i guess that's the struggle is do you act like an asshole uh but you're a nice guy in general but business is business separate what are, what are your thoughts today? We've had this discussion a million times, but we always go round and round, and I don't know that we ever mm. come to a conclusion. Okay. But a couple of weeks ago, you had the idea of act a certain way in a certain situation, but it doesn't change the core of who you are. All right. Here's what I think, and I'm going to swish around a uh, cough drop while I talk. Um, I think that... Remember, like, you you told me about the thing where it said that uh, pessimists do better than optimists, right? You remember yes. that one? Yes, okay. that was a study. Uh, it was also England, though, where <laughs> <laughs> the only more pessimistic country is Germany, probably. And, and their success rate is quite high. Yes. <laughs> Just but, not in world wars. But here's what I think, right? This is what I think. I think that if you, and let's take Germans, right? Let's take Germans because they're a perfect example, right? Because Todd lives in Germany now. Todd is is a very, very good friend of mine and a friend of Nathan's um, uh, who's a musician, DJ, all kinds of stuff. So anyway, Todd is living in Germany right now, right? 
and has been for a while. Has been for the last four or five years. Todd is yeah. also he's a Black American. Okay, what? So, right? You didn't so, tell me that when we became right, friends, right? God damn it! Or wait, so, no, not God damn it! I have a Black friend. I right, have a, exactly. Right. I feel better about myself. I'm one yes. of those good white liberals. <laughs> Indeed. So. He says that they, over there, they follow rules for the sake of following rules, right? Like, they've legislated so much, and they follow the rules to, like, the nth degree. Like, ridiculous rules. Like, if a German person stopped at a red light at 2 in the morning in the middle of farmland, and the red light stayed red for 10 minutes, they would sit there for 10 minutes, even though there's nobody else on the road. And now, should they do that? Well, that's the law, right? So that's what you do, of course, right? But me, I wouldn't do that. I'd wait for like 90 seconds, and then I'd start to get annoyed. Then I'd get even really more annoyed, then more and more and more. And I'd look around, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Okay. <sighs> sit there for a few more minutes. And then I would just drive through, right? Yeah. I do that even in not in the middle of nowhere farmland. Right. I, there's a exactly. there's a traffic light that l- exits. Um, and for any law enforcement listening, I'm lying. <laughs> um, there's a traffic light that uh, is at the exit of a Lowe's mm-hmm. uh, on a main road, and so uh, the main road gets the green light, you know, for 25 minutes, and the Lowe's <laughs> exit gets it for like five seconds. So if right. you pull up on it after it's turned red, you're just going to fucking sit there. Right. So if you pull up on it at a time when there's just no one around, even though it's a main road, it's it, there can be no one on it, and you'll sit there for five minutes on a red light, and fuck that. I'm just like, left, right, all clear, I'm out of here. Because yeah. Yeah, it's I, there, there's no reason to sit. Right. However, in German's defense, the first thing I thought of was the Autobahn, exactly. where here in America, you right. have fuckwats, fucktwits, shitheads who fucking sit in the left-hand goddamn right. lane, and you want to kill them, and in the Autobahn, you get pulled over and you get ticketed. If you are in the left-hand goddamn lane, you get a ticket, and God bless Germany for that. America needs to pull over assholes in the left-hand lane. But- Continue well, on with your point, anyway. So that, they, well, they follow exactly, the rules. They're structured exactly in Germany. That's exactly the point. Because they follow the rules, you can have a highway with a speed limit of 150 or 200 or unlimited because on the highway, you can have multiple lanes. And the people who want to go this fast will be in this lane. People who want to go this fast will be in this lane because they follow the rules. And because they follow the rules, they're ultimately more free. Right, because they can drive as fast as they want, they can do all kinds of things. In certain areas, rule following actually gives you freedom. In other areas, it doesn't. That's the problem. Is like I think that it always comes back to what I always say: is that we live in a world of uh, of polarization. It's either all or nothing, right? Everything is all or nothing, and because it's all or nothing. It makes us really, like, get fucked up, which ties back into what you said about uh, pessimists, assholes, things like that, right? Here's my feeling. I think that pessimists do better in life because pessimists take personal responsibility for everything because they think people are coming after them and they think the world is against them. So they don't think the world owes them anything and think, in fact, they think the world owes them nothing at all, right? And so because of that, they work for everything that they get. 
because they already know that nobody's giving them shit. No one's going to give them anything. And I think that gives them the power to succeed more. I think that assholes kind of have that same thing. I think that there's a bit of I disagree. Of that assholes, assholes generally think they, they deserve everything. That's why they're assholes. They're like, this is for me. Get out of my way. Number one example, our president. I was born on third base. I thought I hit a triple. You know, like he, he got handed a million dollars from his dad, lost it, got handed more money. You know, he thinks he's earned everything he's done where he's just been a shyster and an asshole and succeeded all the way to the top. But I think he's an asshole with money. I think that if you take a regular run-of-the-mill asshole, my guess is that they have those similar qualities and they could be like him, but they also think because they believe they deserve things, they go out for them. Do you know what I mean? And if they if they feel like they can't get it, they work for it because they feel like they deserve it because they're assholes, right? But I think that, like... We're, we're confusing assholes versus assholes who are idiots. Ver, you know what I mean? Like, there's many categories. Because I think an asshole with a brain can be very successful because they believe they deserve something, and then they go out and get it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a bit of that there also, is that there's a lot of well, great That's true. I'm not denying this. that. I guess, I guess uh, the, well, we're talking about what you and I have in the past talked about, personality traits or selfishness. Right. Whereas, like, the, the examples I, was, I would always throw back at you – um, when you would say, I think I need to be more just, you know, you wouldn't say selfish, but it's just like you see all these people around you that are doing well, that are just cold and indifferent and like, fuck you, I'm in it for me. And you would lose a gig or something. And you say, I think I just need to be more this way. And I would push back on you saying, ah, George Clooney made it to the top. Nicest guy in the world. Brad Pitt, nicest guy in the world. You're telling me they're not successful. Uh, you know, it, so there's no rule that you have to right. be one way or the other, but yet I still struggle, and I know you and I have the conversation, like, we, I guess we want rules. I guess as much as we struggle, we want to say, fuck it, I'm just going to be in it for me. Uh, but then something comes up, and you're like, no, I can't fuck that guy over. No, I'll be the nice guy. And, and I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. This is where we get confused. Well, I think, I mean, honestly, I've spent a great deal of time thinking about this. I mean, especially recently, because I'm really just looking at my life and looking around and thinking to myself, like, this is not what I want. I want something better than this. Do you know what I mean? I really do. And I, and more than that, I believe I deserve something better than this. I do. I believe with my talent and experience and things like that, I deserve better. And if I'm not there, then maybe it is me. Maybe I need to do something about that, right? Maybe I'm not as talented as I think I am and I need to become more talented and then go get it. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of where I am these days. So I've been thinking a lot about this and I've come to this conclusion. Well, it's a moving conclusion, obviously. You need boundaries. That's what you need, right? And you need to know yourself, right? Like Shakespeare says, know thyself, right? Like that's really what it comes down to. If I know that I'm the kind of person who's going to give people second and third chances and do things like that, then the, and I want to also be successful, then that means I need to surround myself with people who I don't have to be that way with. So that then, because I'm hiring my friends, because they're my friends, they're also the best people for the job. Do you know what I mean? Like, just do that. And then my niceness doesn't bite me in the ass. So I have to be more selective in this one area of my life so that I can be less selective in another area. 
You know what I mean? I can just grab randomly out of my friend group, and that person's going to be a bad motherfucker, and they're going to be a really cool person, and they're going to be a good friend and also an amazing musician because those are the only people I'm friends with, right? And then that makes it easy for me. So I have to be really selective, right, in that particular way. And I think that that's okay. I think it's okay for me to say I'm the kind of guy who I know that I'm going to be really nice and do your gig because I like you and I'm going to turn down other things that come my way if you hired me for that day. And so I need a minimum, right? I can't do it for 50 bucks because I know that I'm going to turn down something if it comes along. So I can't do your gig for $50 because then if I do, I'm going to feel like shit about myself for having to lose $400 because I agreed to do your $50 gig. So I cannot do $50 gigs. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what it means. It means I have to be less I have to be more selective in this one area, rules, right? So I can be less selective in another area. I could just take the gig and commit to it. And if another one comes, I can be like, yeah, nope, I already got one because it met my minimum. So if, even if I'm losing money, this other gig met my emotional minimum, right? What is the minimum amount of money I can get for a gig and then okay, not feel bad about... Okay, because I was wondering if you were going to get there, because it's not like you can just hold out. Like if someone says, "Hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks for this gig," nope, my minimum's four hundred. Well, I don't have four hundred. All right, and then the date goes empty because you were waiting for. So you're saying there's a balance, like right. okay, this gig pays me a hundred dollars. It's not the most money in the world, but I like the people I'm hanging out with, so it's going to be a good gig. And then someone comes along and says, "Hey, I'll give you a four hundred dollars," and you're like, "You know what? I'm already booked, and yeah, I'd like to make three hundred more, but." You know, I'm good with this 100, and right. hey, think exactly. of me in the future. Yeah, exactly. That kind of happened to me a little bit uh, recently, which is why I bring it up, is I, I had a gig booked, and, you know, shit gig, couple hundred, whatever, and then I got offered a better gig, and I said, no, I can't. And the guy actively pushed back and said, uh, well, if I could get you this much money, would you give up your other gig? And I, it was kind of creepy in a way, not creepy, just off-putting. I'm like, no, like, I, I want them more money, but I... Don't bribe me, because that just defines who I am. That means the next time I have one of your... And I wondered if, you know, it's like, are you testing me? Because the next time I have one of your gigs, you know, are you going to be thinking, oh, he'll just cancel on me if he gets offered more? Because that's what I did to take your gig, if that makes sense. It's like, it sets a bad precedent in my mind. Yes. Always chasing money. Yes, it's it's dating someone and being the mistress and then saying, how, why did, how, did, he, how did I know he was going to cheat on me? Right. Yeah, that's basically it. I know. Isn't it so hard not to say something? <laughs> inside joke, listeners. Inside joke. Oh, um, but what about the overall struggle of personality? So we're talking wait, wait, business. Wait, wait, wait. I might edit that part out. So let's so say that last sentence again. I don't even know what the last sentence was. Ah. Uh, 
Leave you don't need to edit anything out. Uh, we could no, be talking I'm, about I'm, anything. I'm kidding. I've been I'm cheated kidding. on in the past, and you know that. We could be talking about yes, me, I where I, I if you, <laughs> uh, just a quick uh, explanation away, is the uh, <laughs> first woman I ever loved uh, cheated on her boyfriend that hit her with me, and then I finally got her in a relationship. I'm like, yay, you know, I, I'm going to show her she's worth something, and I won't hit her, and then she cheated on me. So I was like, I had that thought, like, how could you cheat on me? Like, oh, wait, you should. Right. So I could define that. We could be talking about many yes. experiences in our I, lives I so you don't need to edit anything out we inside joke i we weren't yeah. going to talk about my sexual history but that's one aspect you could be talking about there are many yes it's true um listeners make up your own <laughs> yeah but it's just you know it's it's amusing stuff but but i think that i i think that that's the kind of world we live in right i feel like all right let me let me stop for a minute here's what i think on a purely lifestyle, professional, everything world, right? I woke up yesterday with this thought. Two thoughts. One is there are no shortcuts. And two is the world owes you nothing. That's it. I feel I like... I agree with the second and disagree with the first. All right, Explain. Oh, I mean, this is a story I've told, uh, not on the podcast, so nobody, a million times. Uh, when, when I moved to Los Angeles to be a comedian, um, I met, and I used to know their names. I used to be able to go, yeah, it was Bob, Sally, and Frederick. I don't know their names anymore. I can't because it's been so long. When I moved to Los Angeles, I met three people who just started doing comedy. I'd been doing it a handful of years, and I'm like, okay, I've got some experience under my belt. I'm going to go to Los Angeles and try and prove myself. So I move out there, and I meet these people that are just open micers. They're getting on stage for their first, second, third time. Someone saw them and go, hey, they got the look I I want. I'm going to put them on TV. So they all got on Comedy Central's Premium Blend. This is back in the day when Premium Blend existed because they could do six minutes, and... So I'm, I'm actively going to argue against my point here as I keep talking. Um, because they got on TV, they, they had success. They're like, yeah, yeah, I got on TV. And they, they had the doors open for them. And then that was it. They had nothing. They were too raw and green. So you say there's no uh, shortcut to success. It depends on how you define success. If you want to say I was a comedian that got on TV, they were successful. I don't want to say it was a shortcut. They just they got it handed to them. But they don't do comedy anymore. So they quit comedy because that was it. They had nowhere to go. They they once they were on TV, they like, hey, make me a star. They're like, yeah, it was good knowing you. It's like, but you put me on TV. Like, yeah, we needed a slot filled, and right. that slot to a lot of comedians could have meant something. Touring comedians that needed a credit, that had the ability to stand on stage and really make an audience laugh, could have used that credit. Uh, the three people that got wasted on basically could do six minutes and could do the open mic circuit and. You know, they didn't even have 15 minutes for an opening slot. They couldn't even stand on stage and host a show unless it was like, okay, you go up and do five minutes and bring up the next comic. So I guess it's about, about, like I said, it depends on how you define success. They got handed things. Their success was fleeting. They had a big opportunity and it was fleeting and it went away when they had nothing to follow up. But, you know, they, they had a shortcut. They got handed right away. They stood on stage for five minutes and were given the keys to the kingdom, kind of, in a way. So. All right, here's what I would say. As I define it, and this is probably what they realized also the minute they got there, my guess is this. If you did a study of all the people who had those opportunities and went nowhere, 
and all the people who had those opportunities and went somewhere, I would bet you dollars to donuts, as they say, that the people who had those opportunities and they got them at the same way those other the other open micers did, I would bet you that those people had journals full of comedy going back to when they were 12. They had been doing Oh, yeah, that's why I said I was arguing against and, myself as yeah, I, mean, I was speaking. Right, like, I think that, that there's no shortcut to being great. Success and greatness, that, let's say that, right? Yeah, there are success, two different, there we go, there we go. That's why I said it depends have, on your defined right, success. Sure, success may have a shortcut, right? If you success, define success as money. But even then, yeah, you can I, win I the lottery. Know. You just took a right, shortcut. Exactly. But are you great right, that's at a anything? Shortcut, right. But if you're talking about success as as I would define it as being able to do something you love at a really high level in the way that you want to, and earn the kind of living you want with it, that would be success to me, right? Now, whatever that means to everybody is different, right? For me. I realize that, like, I can sit in my room and I can make music all day. I'm really good at it, right? And I think that that's a really good way to do things, right? But it dawned on me the other day when I was kind of reprimanding a friend of mine about uh, what he's doing the same thing. He's in his studio, his own home studio, making music like a fiend, like hundreds of tunes and just banging shit, like just killing, right? And he's working it out and working it out and working it out and all that stuff, just like everybody else is, right? And we think we're really getting some shit done. But here's what I really think. Here's the the most efficient way to do it. Call three of my friends. Ask them if I can borrow 12 hours of time. And book four three-hour rehearsals. Bring in six sketches of tunes and work them out over the course of a month. And then say to my friends, hey guys, thanks for that. You helped me work out six songs. Cost me a couple of dollars because I had to rent the space and I bought you guys all food, but that was great. I would get six songs done in one month and I could agree to do that to one of, for one of them in the next month. Right? We could just have a revolving Tuesday 12 to 3 rehearsal. And everybody gets to use it in that way. I think that me and my friends would get more done if, if me and three other songwriters I know got in a room once a week for three hours. Let's say me and, three other, and two other people, right? And we sat there and we played and wrote songs. Like we played one of my songs and they helped me work it out and flush it out for an hour. And then we did one of their songs for an hour. Then the other guy's song for an hour. And then next week we did that. If we did that for one month, in one month we'd have four good songs, right? Theoretically. And then next well, month no, we'd not have the, eight. Let me, let me interrupt. Here's mm-hmm. why that is a great idea and why that will work. It goes to something else we have talked about. Um, networking as opposed to... Um, you said greatness, um, being a really good musician or a really good comedian. You can be the best undiscovered musician or comedian, the most talented in the world, and live that way your entire life. I hooked you up with a podcast. I think it was Hidden Brain or Planet Money. I'm not sure which. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. It was a musician that made a sound library. Right, and absolutely. Yeah. It was funny because at one point he talked about 
songwriting and how he, he put what he did to the listeners is he would uh, ooh I've got my kid's xylophone right here <laughs> so what he would do is he would literally record something like this there we go that's it that sound sample and he would sell that sound sample on his library board and people would pay him a dollar or five dollars to download that note and then they would write these songs and in the background you'd hear that note or him going hey or something like that and that would be songwriting so at some point he was talking about how he got hooked up with another guy and why his library was so powerful um i um, and they they sent him a beat like a boom chicka da da boom chicka da, and he sat down at a piano and said twenty minutes later the song was done and they sent it to this rap guy who then rapped over it and I'm like well yeah that sounds like a twenty minute song it's fucking horrible and it won a goddamn Grammy and like I had never heard of the goddamn song I'm sitting there thinking that sounds like a song you wrote in twenty minutes it's a piece of shit and it won a Grammy so are you telling me there are no shortcuts to success there are. But there are not, because at the end of that podcast, he said networking was more important than talent. The reason he was used so often is because he got out there, got in front of people, was talking to them, started creating a clique and being a part of that clique, and then hanging out with the right people and getting invited invited to the right parties. What do you do? I have a soundboard. Cool. I need someone in the background going, hey, for my song. And they actually played a song where it was so distant in the background where you're like, okay, I barely heard that. But he's like, yeah, producers listen for that. You know, like that catches your ear. It goes behind the melody and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, the reason your ideal work is is community. It takes a village. Hillary Clinton, it's always community. It's if you isolate yourself and sit and write songs, they can be great songs, but then you really have to push people to hear them, where if you have five people in a studio working on a song, you have four other people that are going to go out in the world and say, dude, I worked on this great fucking song today, and then from there it expands, it expands, it expands. Yeah. So I'm still arguing both points, that there is a shortcut, which is you can write a shitty 20-minute song, but it can also be successful because, A, people are stupid and listen to fucking idiotic yeah. music that has no talent, but, B, the community pushed it forward because, you know, he, he was a cool guy and everybody liked hanging out with him. But, I mean, like, let's take, um... So what I'm saying is that you live in New York. You should just go hang out at parties more and push your image more than your talent. Well, yes. That's actually part, that's part, part two of my plan. Um, but here's what I think, right? I think that, like, if, if Sting and Peter Gabriel and Stevie Wonder and Max Martin were all in a room, they could write five hits in half an hour. You know what I mean? And I think they could probably do that because they've all put in so much time and so much energy into that one thing that guy for all of his like now that i really think about it because at the time i would have said yeah it's bullshit right but really that guy spent all his time figuring out sounds that would make hip-hop producers want to work with him that's what he did he's a master of that right we can laugh and think it's stupid but the fact I that that's I, I don't think it's stupid is, at all good on him for success but right. i just think the music that comes out the other end is crap right but that but you know what if he spent all his time doing that and then the producers heard it and went damn that's exactly the sound i need under my melody he was absolutely right so for him taking 20 minutes to write a song he's like well what how like he spent half his life 
finding sounds that hip hop people would be interested in. Of course, it only takes him twenty minutes to write a hip hop song because he knows exactly what they want to hear. He knows exactly right, what. They fair want. enough. Do you know what I mean? I will like, accept that. Like I he, will accept that. He put you, in the you time. Me. It's like, but I, but like, here's what I think, right? And this is like, I'll, I'll be real personal here, right? I think this. I'll make it macro than micro. I think that we as Americans live in a world of delusion. We literally live in a world of delusion. And not only that, we expect everybody else to buy into it. And when they don't buy into our delusion, our teeth come out and we start clawing everybody up and acting like they're a bunch of assholes, right? On a personal level, I think we all do the same thing. I think we live in a world of delusion because we all believe that the rules that apply to everybody else don't apply to us, right? Because just because the red light is there, I'm so important that I should be able to go through it. That's what we think. I mean, everybody else should stop, but I shouldn't have to. Why should I have to stop, right? I, 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 that's, nah, that's for other people. And we all believe it. I am the king of it. We, well, listen, we both talked about it just seven minutes ago before we knew we were going to get here and I knew I was going to say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we were just talking about how it's exactly what we would do, right? But that's true. But that's the problem, is that we live in a world where we all believe that everybody should follow the rules except us, right? And because of that, we fuck ourselves royally because we walk around acting like somebody owes us something. Right, it's all tied in, right? Like, I'll be at a jam session. I'm in the house band of a jam session. That will remain nameless, but it's at Prohibition, 84th, and Columbus. <laughs> and um, every Monday night, 9 to midnight. There you go. All right, so I'm in the Get house Get out there, band. New Yorkers. Yeah, it, so I'm in the house band of this jam session, right, at Prohibition. And these singers come up, and they bring 15-page charts, right, Let's call it 16 pages, eight pages on both sides, right? Like music on both sides of a song that no one's ever heard before that, and they don't have it in a book. They don't have it stapled or taped or anything like that. They hand it to us and we're like, how are we supposed to turn these pages? How are we supposed to do all this stuff? Right? So, well, well. Sounds like you need an apprentice. Listeners, right. if you live in New York and you would like to stand on stage and turn music pages on a yeah, stand seriously. for a. Uh, yeah. Musicians. Yeah, for free beer and French fries. Prohibition, Monday nights. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. But, like, so they'll do that, right? And then they'll lose themselves in the form. So they'll lose themselves in the form, and we will not know where they are because we don't know the song. We're just reading the page down, you know what I mean? So when they screw it up, we don't even know where they are because we're literally just reading the notes, right? So we get through it. It's a disaster. And then they go home. We did our job. They didn't do theirs. But the problem is they expected that the world was going to pick up the slack around their insecurities. And it's not how it works, right? So they'll, so they'll come back the next week and they'll do it again. And they'll watch other people come up and say, hey, um, I don't, I'm new to this singing game. What are the kind of songs that you guys like to play that, like, we, that I would sound good on? Well, what kind of music do you like? Well, I do this, 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 this. Well, we suggest these handful of songs. And we'll pick songs that we already know the band knows, songs that the audience loves, and songs that these people could like in the genre that they're interested in. 
we pick something that's going to make them sound good. Like, we know how we're going to be best able to support them, right? So we tell them that. And then they go home and they come back. So these other singers watch people do that, come back, have great times, like bring the house down with these songs, and then they get up, give us these charts of these obscure tunes that nobody knows so they can rehearse it publicly. But in their mind, they have this fantasy that it's going to be this great thing and it's going to be amazing and everyone's going to have this experience that they have the first time they heard the song because it was a song they lost their virginity to or something. And then it's like, no. That's a delusion. Like, you're living in a world of delusion. Pay attention to what you're doing. Look around and stop acting like the world should accommodate your fear, your insecurities, your... get Like, the world should accommodate your comfort zone. Because that's, I think, what we all do. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I'm rambling, so... Anyway. It does. It was it was a long way to get there. I, I liked it as an interesting story, but to get to the, the point, yes. uh, it's, it's straight. <laughs> but I don't disagree. It's... Um, it's it sounds like uh, it's related to my world comedy someone like we do go to open microphones and test material and you know I'm, i go there and i go okay is this is going to work is it not i really i'm not concerned with what the audience is thinking because i've done enough of it where i'm just trying to hear myself talk i'm like in as i say the words do i know that i can find a place where, where it will work younger comics they go up just completely incoherent. Not all of them. I'm just saying every so often you'll get someone that'll go up and then be pissed or wonder why the audience, you know, like, oh, they just didn't get it. It's like, well, no, you just weren't funny. You know, like, it's the idea that thinking that because you're on stage, the audience has to respond to you. Eh, the audience really doesn't, you know? I mean, that's right. It, that's it, right? It's a, it's a world. It's delusional thinking. It's delusional thinking that if you go up on stage and you tell your funniest material, the material that has your, you know, whatever you do in your day job, that has your coworkers peeing themselves laughing that it's so funny, right? When you go do your six minutes of that and it's the best and nobody laughs or you just get mild chuckles and then you do it 15 times in a row the same exact way in different rooms and nobody thinks it's funny, it's not the audience. It's you. Like, it's delusional thinking. Do you know what I mean? Like, to think, oh, every open mic I go to, everybody's an idiot. Right? Like, how is that even reasonable? Right? Like, we just live in a world of delusion and I feel like when I look at my own life, I can go, wow. Right? Like... I was completely out of my mind when I expected this behavior to get me something other than what it got me. Right? Like, how did I think? It's like, it's like high school kids or college kids, right? Remember being in college and it's like, you think to yourself, well, what's the least amount of work I can do? Right. And that's what you do. And then at the end, you get look at your report card and go, how come I didn't get an A? And it's like, right, it's delusional. Right. How do you think you're going to get by doing the least amount of work possible and then still get an A? Right. Like, it's absurd. But I think that that's how as Americans, largely, that's how we live. Right. And in a place like Germany, going back to your original point, that is not I was going to say, where are we going with all this? We, we, right? We've been talking a while. And I think we're <laughs> right. so far oh, lost. Oh, it's ridiculous. But, but, you know, but really, like, people in Germany, 
that's not how they live, right? Like, like think about it for a minute. Do they walk around really expecting that if they do shitty work, they're going to get a good car out of it? Right, but okay. it's a, you know, think I'm, about that. But I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I, was, I actually was there a split second before you said car, because in my head I was thinking, yeah, but how many good German, you know, jazz musicians are there, or comedians, or... You know, they're, they're, geez, I don't know much about German film, cinema, but it's all very bleak. I mean, <laughs> how many good German comedies are there? Yeah, you can apply that to the, the assembly line, but back in the day, you had uh, German composers making classical music, uh, but that can be very strict and rule-bound. Uh, you had the Scorpions and uh, Nina with 99 Luft balloons, but... You know, as far as arts go, they had Dadaism, which was just annoying to fucking everyone. So, you know, we're we're dealing with two different things. Germans follow the rules, but they also, you know, they're they're not a happy people. They're not a carefree, happy-go-lucky art artist. You know, they they respect and like art, but you don't see them producing it. All right. See. All right, see, now this is where the conversation is going to get really deep, people. So all of you people that, like, suffer through the first part of that, this is what you were waiting for, okay? Um, oh, see, now I lost the thought. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, here's what I think. I think it comes down to that, that thing when we talk about consistency and all of those things. I think that... It's, again, kind of delusional and arrogant thinking, but I feel that what happens is we live in a world where we're taught that you can't be a good girl and suck dick, right? So if you're a good girl, you don't suck dick, but then what if you do? Does that make you not a good girl? So then you have to lie about it and feel shameful so you can pretend to be a good girl but feel like you're bad, right? You can't do this and be this. You can't be a guy. You can't be a nice guy. And then still grab your girlfriend by the back of her hair, push her up against something, bend her over, and fuck her till she believes in Jesus, right? Like, yes, you can. You can be a nice guy and also bang the shit out of somebody if that's what they want or need. Or you want or need or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, the two things, they can coexist. And we live in a world where we think that that's not possible. Where it has to be this or this. There's one villain. There's one princess. <laughs> <laughs> you took it really graphic. I, you could have also just said uh, it's like the librarian that also has a happening sex life. I know. You know, you think she's a quiet and reserved librarian, but she also likes to party. Right. Okay. <laughs> Fine. The, the example I thought of is, uh, and I don't know what you said that made me think of it, is Bono from U2. You talk about uh, d World of Delusion. That's what it was, uh, Living, being delusional. He said when you're 18, you think you can take on the world and sometimes you're right. That's how he explains you too. He's like, right. you know, we could have been failures. We could have gone nowhere. But you're 18 and you have that arrogance. And maybe America is just swimming in arrogance. And that's why you and I, you know, decided to take our, quote, talents <laughs> yeah. off the assembly line and out of the factory and out of the cubicle and onto the stage. And that's why we are here every week or not every week, but that's why you and I are constantly <laughs> questioning what we do and how to get to where we need to go and are we good enough yeah. and uh, doggone it, do people like us? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
I think the only the only answer I have to that is every time I stand on stage, yes, people seem to laugh and enjoy me and come up afterward and go, that was great. Yeah. And, you know, here's I think all of this stuff to me, it really does come down to personal responsibility. Like I've been I've been grappling with that kind of like my whole life, really, like the idea of self-responsibility. And as I actually come up with a really adult version of that, I find my life starts to get better, right? When I start believing that, yes, like, this country was built on genocide and slavery and all these other things, and it's also a great place to live, right? It can be both. It can be a place that I love and cherish and also a place that I think should be fixed, Right. But I get like, that. Right. Like we can't live in a world of, of moral absolutism. Right. Like we just can't like like Germans are absolute rule followers. And and so in your mind, they're unhappy. Let's say that that's correct. I right? didn't say they were unhappy. I no, just said they were they, they tend to lean towards dour. Right. But let's say. But I think you're probably right, as do Russians and people. And they have similar things. Great work ethic, super hard work and all that stuff. But kind of bleak. Right. The weather contributes, I'm sure. But whatever. Right. And then you have these other parties places right you think of places like america you think of jamaica you think of shit rio de janeiro right you think of all these places where people party and laugh and there's no rules and all that stuff and they are not known for getting things done they're late they're this they're that blah 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 all this other stuff right but what that's true their countries are perpetually bankrupt but great festivals great music there you go right so but what if instead of living in a world of absolute polarization we said how about we have rules people that makes sense and we spend some time and we edit we look we use our 2020 hindsight to make a better future right simple thought right and then we have free time where we don't have a lot of restrictions like as individuals right like work hard play hard what if you go to work and be really hard working and industrious and then on the weekends have a blast, but not irresponsibly, right? Like designated driver doesn't mean excuse to get shit faced. It means, oh, cool. I can have a couple of drinks and I don't have to worry about it, right? Like stop living in a world of extremes, right? Go to work, work hard. On the weekend, play hard. Go to work, have a good time, do whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe we just have to stop assuming that you can't be a person who works really hard and diligently and follows all the rules and also not a person who can go out and have a good time. I think that all that repression is where you get all kinds of closeted, secretive, weird behavior, right? Because these people are conflicted. They feel like in this one world, this thing, they have this one thing they want to express and it's not okay, but yet... Like, they do everything right, and because they do everything right, they're not the kind of person who would also play saxophone. You know what I mean? Like, they're not that also, right? Because they're this. And it's like, well, what if we stop living like that? Stop living in this world of illusion, the illusion of perfection as being one thing, right? Like, I don't know. I think that... The whole world would benefit from that. But I think this country in particular would benefit from a lack of polarization mentally. There you go. All right, listeners, change your lives. It's up to you now. (laughs) There you go. All right. Tune in next week where we tackle more nonsense in Babylon and probably don't come to any conclusions. All right. Thanks for listening.